are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Okay, here's what I want you to do with me this morning as we start the message, is just think with me about your own journey with God, okay? Your own Jesus journey. And as you've been following Jesus, have there been people in your life who have walked with you, who have prayed for you? who have encouraged you, who have built you up in the faith, who have been there to walk this journey with you. And so I'm asking you to go a little bit deeper with me than just to say, uh, yeah, there's been people in my life like that. I want you to actually get names and faces in front of your head, okay, in front of your mind. So think about when maybe you were a child, if you were raised in the church, if you weren't, you would start much later. But those Sunday school teachers or those children's pastors that were involved in your life, Or maybe as you got older, youth pastors or youth workers, maybe as you've grown up, people in a small group with you, or maybe a teacher somewhere along the way, just begin to think about the people who prayed for you, encouraged you, admonished you in your faith, gave you good, sound biblical instruction, spoke into your life, and helped you grow. Okay, you ready for this? Here we go. Now we're going to flip it around. Who are the people in your life today that you are investing in? Who are the people that you're praying for? That you are encouraging? That you're speaking into their life? That you're teaching? That you're admonishing? That you're building them up in their faith? Who are the people you are investing in? And and let me go a little deeper and ask you, so what is the setting where that most naturally happens for you? So some of you would say, hey, pastor, I'm in this small group and we get together and we speak into each other's life and we study scripture together. We pray for each other. We encourage each other. We challenge one another. We hold each other accountable. For some of you, it's in a class setting. For some of you would say, you know, I've got these two or three friends that I meet with on a pretty regular basis. What does that look like in your life? How many of you would say, I don't want you to raise your hands, but you'd say that that's probably not happening in my life like it should happen. In fact, would there be some of you who would say, maybe I'm even in a small group, but we don't go to quite that level. It's more of a fellowship kind of thing. And it's something in my life that I feel like right now is lacking. Okay, so there's one thing that I know for sure. I don't claim to know everything. There's a lot of things I don't know, but this thing I know for sure, okay? As Jesus followers... This is God's plan for us, okay? God's plan is that we would encourage each other and that we would build each other up as we follow Jesus together. Now, I don't know everything, but as well as I know that my given name is Ricky Wayne Harvey and I was raised in a small Kentucky town, I know this is the truth, okay? That God has a plan and the plan is that you and I encourage each other And that we build each other up as we follow Jesus together. That I have no doubt about. In fact, let me just give you the words from from, uh, Paul himself as he writes to the Thessalonians, okay? So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. So Paul sends Timothy to check on these early Christians in Thessalonia. Thessalonica, rather. And, and when he comes back, he's so encouraged that they're growing in their faith, that they're doing good, 
he doesn't like see all these problems and get concerned that you guys are off track and I've got to write a letter correcting you. It's more like this. Hey, you guys have been building each other up, encouraging each other. You've been doing that. So what I want you to do is to keep doing that because he understands that critical to your journey, my journey with Christ, critical to you and I growing and becoming more like Jesus, that we have to encourage one another and build each other up in the faith. Now, I'm going to take a minute or two because I think it's really important to say to you that this is the tone of the New Testament. For example, last week when Chris preached, and hey, how did Chris do last week? Wasn't that a great sermon? Loved it. He gave you a passage from the book of James. You remember that? And here's what it says. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then in the book of John, these are the words of Jesus. As I have loved you, you know what you guys should be doing? I want you to love one another. And then you see in the book of Romans, Paul has confidence. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Now listen to this. Filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. And then in another passage, it's the same idea in the book of Colossians. Teach and admonish one another. And then in the book of Hebrews, you see again, let us consider how we may spur one another on. If we're out of horse, you know what a spur is. Sometimes we need to kick each other along a little bit, is what he's saying, in loving good deeds. And then it again in Hebrews, don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And so the tone of the New Testament is that you and I must invest in one another's journey with God. So as we are following Jesus, we encourage each other and we build each other up. So let's have one of those uh, pull up a seat, sit down and talk for a minute. Because I think that there are many of us who would say, so this is where I am today in my walk with God. But it's not where I want to always be. I really want to grow. I really want to become more like Jesus. I don't want to just be here. I want to see marks of real Christian growth and maturity in my life. So how many years have you been a Christian? Do you know? You got that number? So there's some people that I know that are saying it's been less than a year. And, and there's some people, uh, I'm just trying to look around the room, who would probably say, you know, 40 years, maybe more. Maybe 50, maybe 60. And so, however many years that is, whatever your number is, you got your number? However many years that is, would you say that you've been growing all these years? Or would you say, I don't, I don't know, Rick, maybe, maybe it's more like... I really grew those first couple of years, but, but since then I've just been repeating those years over and over again. I mean, early on I was zealous, I was excited, I was gung-ho, I was reading, I was studying, I was praying, I was, you know, doing everything I could do. But, 
I don't know if I would say I've continued to grow over those years or if I've just repeated that first year over and over again for 25 years. But that's not where I want to be. I want to grow in my faith. So I'm going to tell you three stories today, okay? One is a story about something that happened 2,000 years ago. And one is a story about something that happened 300 years ago. And then we're going to talk about today. Here we go. So here's the story of Thessalonica. Paul, the guy who we read about so much in the Bible, who wrote so much of the New Testament, was a missionary. So you know what a missionary is. You leave your home, your comfortable life, and you go to another culture, maybe even where people speak a different language or whatever, and you share Jesus there. And so Paul did that. He would like leave and go on these missionary journeys that would last for years at a time. So sometimes he would have like a traveling companion. And on this trip, he takes a guy whose name is Silas. And they go to Thessalonica. So they begin to share Jesus with people. And guess what? Uh, It goes really well. People begin to put their faith in Jesus. And now there's lots of people in Thessalonica who are following Christ. Things were going well until they were accused of defying Caesar, the Roman emperor. And the reason they were accused of defying the emperor was because these Christians would get together and they begin to talk about another king whose name was Jesus. And so persecution breaks out and Paul and Silas have to actually flee the city. I mean, they have to get out of town to save their own lives. It was painful because they were very close to these people. And these people were growing in their faith. And so when Paul writes this letter that I just read to you from a minute ago, he, he wants to reconnect with these people in Thessalonica really for two reasons. He wants to celebrate their faith. Hey, you guys, Timothy came back and told me that you guys are doing really, really good. And I'm excited about that. And the second thing he wants to do is say, now, you are encouraging one another and you are building each other up in the faith. Keep doing that. Don't stop doing that. Keep building into one another's lives. When you get to chapter 5, he talks about the fact that Jesus is going to return. And this should motivate you to be faithful to him as you continue to grow in your faith. Now, I love these words. And before he closes the letter, he says, this is my real desire for you. This is my prayer for you. Verse 23. Now, may the God of peace... Make you holy in every way. In essence, he's saying, may the God of peace make you more like Jesus every day of your life. So you know what I want for you? I want this for you. Steve Hodnett, I want God to make you more holy in every way. Lane, this is what I pray for you, buddy. I want God, the God of peace, to make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. What an awesome prayer. So let me tell you a story about something that happened 300 years ago. There was a guy who was born in the early 1700s in England. His name was John Wesley. And John Wesley was a theologian, and he was a pastor. And so much of what John Wesley wrote and said and accomplished has formed the way that we think about God. And also about the way that we think about 
discipleship, encouraging one another, and building each other up in the faith. So, there was a contemporary of John Wesley whose name was George Whitfield. And George Whitfield was a really good preacher. He was a popular preacher. He was a famous preacher. He was very engaging. He preached to hundreds. In fact, he was preaching in churches all over England. And, and the church would get so full, honestly, that there was no room for anybody else in the church. And so people would stand outside the church and they would raise the windows and they would stand outside the doors of the church so they could hear Whitfield preach. That's how popular and famous he was. Whitfield decided to go and visit the U.S., the colonies. He felt God calling him there. And so he came and he spent some time in the U.S. and he decided that there was a great need for orphanages in the U.S. And so he goes back to England and he's going to preach in churches and he's going to receive offerings to help go build orphanages in the States. But when he gets back to England, the clergy have become suspicious of him and maybe a little jealous of him and they wouldn't let him preach in their churches anymore. So you know what he does? He goes somewhere else to preach. I think you would say for England it was the best and worst of times in the 18th century. Historically, you'll remember that it was the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. They were building factories and mills and mining became a very important industry in that season of history. And so what happened was that people began to migrate out of the rural areas to urban centers. Cities like London and Bristol to find work. Now if you owned a factory, if you owned a mill, or if you were in business, you were getting richer. But if you were one of the workers in one of those factories or in one of those mines or in one of those mills, you were barely scratching out a miserable living. And this gap between the rich and the poor began to grow greater and greater and greater. You and I know that urban life can offer many challenges and there are many vices to be confronted with. Alcoholism was rampant. And you might say, well, where was the church of England during all of this? Unfortunately, the church was pretty sterile. Clergy were corrupt. They were paid either by the government or people who were very wealthy. And many times they would have a charge, but they would never even go to preach. They would send somebody else to go preach. They were just making the money. And the church was largely ineffective. And so you know what Whitfield does? He just goes to where the people are. And he preaches in the open air. He would go to a mining community and just preach. And hundreds of people begin to come. And then thousands of people begin to come. And he would go to an urban center where there were lots of people living in great poverty. And he would preach. And people would just come out to hear him. And finally he became very popular as an outdoor preacher. Thousands of people were coming forward at the end of his services and giving their hearts to Jesus. And so when he decided to go back to the States to build the orphanages, he called on John Wesley to come and preach in his open-air settings. Wesley struggled. He said, I don't think I want to do this. I, I'm very committed to the church, the church of England, my church, and, and I don't know that I, I feel comfortable preaching outside its walls. But Later he did preach outside its walls in those open air settings and he found people to be in such need of the gospel and so receptive to the grace of Jesus that he continued to do so. Now, they called him a Methodist for a reason. 
He was methodical. When people would come and get saved, Wesley would say, what are we going to do for these people now? We can't just turn them back out and send them to their homes and, and not follow up. We've got to do something. And so he created great methods to disciple people. And so what he did was he started societies. He didn't call them churches because he was committed to his church. He called them societies, but for all intents and purposes, they were congregations. They didn't meet on Sunday mornings. They met on Sunday nights, but... Other times through the week, but their greatest teaching session was on Sunday night. And they even built chapels, Methodist chapels, all over England. And so they would come to those society meetings on Sunday nights, and it was great instruction given. So you've got to lean in with me for a few minutes here, because this is the point I want to make to you. He also said, let's start classes. And I won't go into the history of how that started, but finally, if you were a member of a society you were required to be in a class it was a group of 10 to 12 people they met once a week for an hour or two at a time you might say well what happened in the class let me show you here's what happened in the class okay they reviewed the uh, general rules you say well i don't know what general rules are these were wesley's general rules the first one was do no harm and in other words he was saying there were things that you shouldn't be doing and so just don't do them okay There's stuff that shouldn't be a part of your life. Don't do it. Do good. This was stuff that you should be doing. And then keep the ordinances of God. You say, what were the ordinances of God? So you know how we talk about practices a lot here? Like uh, we say it's important to, to, to worship together. So come to church like like we are right now. And this is important. And they become a means of grace through which God transforms us. I leave here many Sunday mornings believing God is speaking to me. God is working in my heart. God is changing me. And like one-on-one time with God, we talk about that being a practice where you find a time in your day to open your Bible and read it and pray and spend time with God. That's a great practice. We talk about serving and giving. We talk about sharing our faith. We talk about all those kinds of practices. That's what the ordinances of God were. And so Wesley said, keep the ordinances of God. And as you practice them, God will change you. He will transform you. They become a means of grace. The Lord's Supper was in this idea of worshiping together. Very important to Wesley. Do this as often as you can. Then they would receive an offering for the poor. And then this is the real catch right here, number three. So the leader of the small group that met together would say, here's how I'm doing in my walk with God. And then he would say, Brett Bradley... How is it with your soul? And, and Brad would be expected in that small group to maybe shuffle his feet, stare at the floor a minute, and say, here's how I'm doing in my walk with God. Do you want that kind of accountability in your life? You want to be in a group like that? Where you sit around a circle and all eight of you answer the question, I think this week this is how I'm doing in my journey with God. And I've got a feeling that our first response is, I I don't know that I want that level of accountability, Rick. But I got a feeling that there's a few, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three, maybe ten, maybe twenty of you who are saying, you know what, why not? 
Why not be accountable to one another? What about finally getting serious about the things that are really important to the heart of God? Why not just go for it? Why not be honest with one another? Why not look at each other in the eye and just say, you know what? I've got to confess to you, this is where I am in my journey with God and it's not where I want to stay. And what if we then encouraged each other and built each other up? See, this is what's important. These groups, these class meetings, they focused on transformation, not information. They didn't say we're going to get together and study a book or even a book of the Bible. They said, we've got instruction coming to us in the societies, and we go to church, and that's all good. But when we come together for the class meeting, it's not about information. It's about transformation. It's about getting real with God, with one another, getting honest with ourselves, with one another. It's about seeing God change us. So there's a couple things that I want to show you. John Wesley said, established class meetings... And he was talking to his preachers because soon he had many who were preaching in the open air. Form class meetings in societies wherever you preach and have a tentative hearers for. Wherever we have preached without doing so, the word has been like seed by the wayside. He said, we really didn't have anything to show for it. Now, you remember I talked to you about George Whitfield? I think you'll find it very interesting. So, so Whitfield, um, late in his life, in a conversation with a man named John Poole, reflected about his ministry and Wesley's ministry. You remember he was more popular. You remember he had way more people come to receive Christ at his altars than Wesley ever did. But here's what he says at the end of his life. My brother Wesley acted wisely. The souls that were awakened under his ministry, he joined in class, meaning these class meetings, and thus preserved the fruits of his labor. But he says, I didn't do this. I neglected that. And my people are a rope of sand. I can't really get my hands around. I can't really... I, Wesley has the whole Methodist movement to show for his work. I really don't know what I have to show for mine. So let's talk about today. 2,000 years ago, 300 years ago today. I went to a, uh, a seminar a while back. Pastors do that from time to time. This one was focused on sharing our faith, helping people come to know Jesus, being a church that becomes very concerned and very committed to helping people find their way to Jesus. And so they asked these really uh, challenging questions. Questions like, uh, if I were God and I had this group of people who didn't know Jesus, um... Uh, would I send them to your church? Questions like that. So I don't know, what do, you, what do you feel about that? Would you say, no, bring them here because we, we love people. We love all people. We love people who aren't like us. And we do a really good job of making them feel welcome 
Or would you say, I, I don't know, God. I, if you've got a bunch of people who don't know Jesus, I, maybe you should send them to Life Church or somewhere. Because I think they, they, really, you know, they, they really do try to share Jesus with people. I don't know that that's where we are. How, how would you respond? Would you say, yeah, God, bring them here and, and let me be on the front line. Okay, I want to be like front line. I, I want to get... I want to build friendships with those people. I want to welcome those people. I want them to, to feel like they're part of a family here. I remember one of the questions they asked was this. Like, how long has it been since you've gone to church on a weekend and had someone that you invited sitting beside you who didn't know Jesus? So what's your answer on that one? How long has that been for you? You see what I mean? They were just asking really terrible questions. Just really hard questions. Just And so it's kind of interesting that they say, here's, here's what we encourage you to do as a church. We're going to encourage you to get all of your people committed to meeting once a month in a smaller group. Once a month. Not every week. Once a month. And, and when you guys get together, now this is their, their, their whole deal. This is what they try to get churches to do. And when you get together in this smaller group, your whole church meeting once a month in smaller groups, groups of about eight people, here's what we're going to challenge you to do. Answer two questions. You want to know what they are? Okay, here's the first question. What, what is your temperature when it comes to being passionate about helping people come to know Jesus? On a scale of 1 to 10, would you say you're like a, a 2? I mean, I care, you know. Or would you say you're like a, a 5? Would you say you're like an 8? Well, I'm praying for this person, and I'm praying for this person, and I'm praying for this person... And, and I've made friends with this person who is not a Christian and has never been a Christian. And, and, and we just have a great relationship. And, and not long ago I had a, a great faith conversation with a person who doesn't know Jesus. And, and I've just opened my arms and I've made them part of my life. And I don't, I don't bug them about coming to my church. I just, I'm just building friendships with these people. Yeah, I'm, I'm an eight. Anybody saying, is there something less than a one? Because I don't really do anything in that regard. I don't. So that's what you do. You get together in these groups and you answer this question. You know, in, in regard to being passionate about helping people come to know Jesus, on a scale of one to ten, what am I? And then the second question is this. How could I improve by one degree? If I'm a four, what could I do to become a five? If I'm a 6, what can I do to become a 7? You can't become a 10 next month. That's not possible. But how can, I, how can I become better? And so I'm sitting there listening to this kind of a pitch, I guess. And, and I realize this is, a, this is something Wesley probably would not have frowned on. He would have said, yeah, I think you should sit in the circle, but I think you should answer other questions besides just that one. I think you should talk about your prayer life. Your concern for the poor. What you're learning in Scripture. 
Say, I, I think you could be gung-ho about bringing people to church, but your own walk with God could be just a mess. So I don't think it's just about that. So, if you come on Sunday night to the atrium starting next week, I just want you to know what you're in for. We're going to wade. And you don't need to sign up, just show up. But we're going to wade into this world of actually being accountable to one another about some areas of our walk with God. And we're not going to dive in because that would just be too devastating. I don't know that we're ready to dive in, but we're going to wade in. And at some point, sitting around that table, we're going to be honest with each other about some aspects of our walk with God. And so if you're going, well, then I don't want to come. If i got to sit at a table and talk to people about where I'm at, then, then I would say it's just not for you right now. But, but there's some of you who are ready to do that. Who are saying, why not do that? Because if that is a means of grace by which God will help me to grow in my faith, if there's people here who are really willing to encourage me and build me up, then I want to be encouraged and built up. And if there's people that I can encourage and build up, then I want to encourage them and build them up. And I just dream some days about what God might do, not through the masses, because the masses aren't going to get into this, but, but to the few who will do it. An army of a couple of hundred. What would God do through us? Not only in our effort to help people come to know Jesus, but just that we can grow and become what God dreams of us becoming. Amen. All right, you want to stand with me? So Chad and the band are going to come up. We're going to sing before we go. You know, I love, I love, I can't help it. I just love it. I love to go to church on Sunday morning. And, and there are times when I get to just listen to the sermon, or even if I'm the one that preaches the sermon, I love it when I feel like I just want to pray. You know, I just want to respond. It's like God has talked to me this morning, and He's spoken to me, and I want to respond. I don't want to just go to the next thing. I don't want to just rush out the door. And so we always talk about the altars are open, and they are this morning. Or maybe when everything's done, you can just sit in your seat where you are and just hang out, not feel like you've got to just rush out the door. And, and, and maybe it's like somebody's here saying, Rick, you're talking about people coming to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Well, you can come to know Jesus this morning. The truth of the matter is it might be that you could be born again right here today. This whole new life, like starting over. Forgiveness of sin and this new life being raised to this new life in Jesus. So there'll be pastors hanging around up here. I'll be up here. You can just come and say, hey, you want to pray with me? I would love to do that. They would love to do that. So God help us. Amen? Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.